You're listening to the Back Home Network, presented by Homefield Apparel. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important topics in the world of Indiana basketball. This is our 307th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 964th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of September 7th, 2023. I am your host, Jared Morris. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call, how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud Banner Moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Smart takes the shot. The Hoosiers have won the national championship. So I have a feeling it's going to be pretty easy to write next week's banner moment since it will almost surely be Indiana getting top flight recruits Liam McNeely, Derek Queen, and Curtis Givens all from Montverde Academy on campus at the same time this upcoming weekend for official visits. In fact, we'll be discussing that more later in the show. But it hasn't happened yet, so it can't be our banner moment for this week's show. Instead, I'm going back to last weekend, which featured a number of former Hoosiers showing up on campus to check in on their old program, get in some work with Cliff Marshall, and support the football Hoosiers on Saturday against Ohio State. Some of the players also spent time with the 2025 recruits who were on campus. And one picture that was posted by Adam Howard featured from left to right, Nate Childress, Trace Jackson Davis, Mike Woodson, Jalen Hutchifino, Rob Finnessy, Devontae Green, Romeo Langford, Calvert Chaney, and Jordan Holes. In all, that's a nice little Saturday gathering featuring 10,886 points, four first-round picks, and four Big Ten titles. But what I loved most about the photo is what it represented, a previously fractured basketball family coming back together. You have the Knight era represented by Woody and Calvert, the Crean era with Hulls, the Archie era with Nate, Rob, Devontae, and Romeo, and of course the Woody era with the coach himself, Trace, and Jalen Hutchifino. While Indiana continues to work to raise the level of its on-court play, it's important that we lean on the program assets that remain, notably our history and the family atmosphere that such history can create if it's properly cultivated. One of the best local examples is Michigan State. You see it at Duke as well and many other programs that experience and expect annual success. Unfortunately, it's something that was ignored or unavailable for too long at IU, and I'm glad Woody seems committed to bringing it back and making it a feature of Indiana basketball again. Want to get recruits like Liam McNeely, Derek Queen, and Curtis Givens, who already feel like family after playing at Montverde together? Let them know that same family atmosphere exists in Bloomington as well. And last Saturday, with so many former players back in town, was a nice step in that direction. All right, now let me introduce my co-host this week. He is the Dan Campbell of Girls Youth Sports Coaching in Cincinnati, the President Emeritus of the Robert Johnson Fan Club, and he's the world's most fun-loving bracketologist. The best of you sports coaching, you know that we got them. When it comes to analytic trends, you know he can spot them. For first-class bracketology, if you want the top, you got to go bottom. Bottoms. If you want the top, you gotta go bottom, bottom. That's right. If you want the top, it is Andy Bottoms, ladies and gentlemen. On this great night in Cincinnati with Joe Burrow becoming the highest paid NFL player of all time. Just good vibes all around, Andy. 
Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, you're going to have to probably change my intro this, this upcoming basketball season. I'm not going to be coaching for the first time and I don't know how long. So, uh, Whoa. you'll have to, you have to get retired coaches. Well, they don't, they don't need a seventh grade coach. He just they, they're moving the, on to the middle schools. And now I just yeah. need to be the loud guy. He'd be like the Vince Lombardi screams. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, sadly, that's probably a little too close to home, but anyway, uh, now for me, my, my banner moment was last weekend. Uh, got to have a couple beers with, uh, Kathy Amos, who was in town with her Whoa. husband, Sean and her mom, uh, Norma, they were in town for the Reds Cubs series. So got to meet up with them on Saturday afternoon and, uh, that's awesome. and catch up a little bit. So that was, uh, that was awesome to see them. And, um, so the the team split the series, so everybody ended up happy or in basically the same place they were when they started. So you gotta you gotta love that. But uh, yeah, but no, just uh, you know the off season rolls along, getting more and more preview content. As I got on here, I saw my uh, blue ribbon digital edition is ready for download, so I'll have to check that out later. And so we're getting into uh, more more preview season and things like that. So uh, exciting times, and obviously a huge recruiting weekend as you. Uh, as you look forward to that. So uh, hopefully some positive news coming out of that, as you said, that we can talk about next week. And also here with me, he is a longtime high school basketball coach in the state of Indiana, the founder of Delphi Bracketology and a man who knows how to celebrate an epic road win over his rival. Shavito! That's right. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the coach. He remembers the days when a movie cost a dollar. Heaven help you if you ever decide to pop your collar. Play hard, but remember, fake hustle is a crime. He's the coach, and it's Tonsoni time. Coach, it's Tonsoni time. What's on your mind this week? Well, the the big drink I'm going to have at the upstairs pub about 4 o'clock on Saturday, <laughs> sitting next to Galen doing a podcast. That's kind Save of yourself. on my mind. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, I'm kind of looking forward to, to that trip um, and, and just excited about um, – you know, this weekend and, and what it means, the, the pipeline that we're starting to create uh, with Mount Verde and just quality basketball players that uh, Coach Woodson and staff are at the table. And he came in wanting to say that, and he said it. He wants to sit at the table, and people told him he couldn't, and he's actually getting a seat at the table. Now let's get some invites, you know. Let's get some commits of those top-level players because that that's what's going to move uh, the Indiana program. So that, that is uh, an exciting trip. College football has started. Uh, play me my theme music, you know. Uh, Colorado was just an uplifting story. We'll see if it lasts. So uh, a lot of enjoyment of college football uh outside of bloomington but um we'll talk do about you that believe later i guess coach do you believe that's the I, question <laughs> i am yeah i do believe in in coach prime all right and also here with us he is a senior writer for the big lead he is a self-proclaimed shot doctor in need of patience and he is a man who better get his kleenex ready so he has something to cry into when michael Penix finishes higher than caleb williams in the heisman vote this season Players finding every wrinkle he hasn't ever hosted, never lifted a finger. He's got all the well, let me quickly add just one thing about this. Dude just interrupted his own jingle. You know, Ryan, starting to see lots of Michael Penix NFL draft buzz. If only there was a basketball podcast that had talked about that four or five years ago that would have gotten people ready. You know, just saying. Yeah, I, look, Michael Penix throws as pretty a deep ball as anybody in college football, but he's still missing on a lot of the the easy throws. <laughs> it's He's got that howitzer, and he doesn't really modify it for short distance. So uh, I wish him the best until he plays USC, of course. Um, <clears throat> but if, if you want to know who the 
the best quarterback in college football is. Look toward the Coliseum. Uh, Caleb Williams is pretty damn good. It might be the best I've seen as a passing quarterback, not like a Tim Tebow-ish kind of guy ever. Uh, he's so good. Um, anyway, back to the Indiana basketball podcast. Uh, yeah, I think that the recruiting weekend is huge. The fact that they, you know, that Curtis Givens is also making that trip is is pretty big for Indiana. And uh, hopefully we come out of it with some positive news. Uh, McNeely and Queen seem to be, or they just did their visit to Kansas together. And uh, now they're going to come see Indiana. Uh, Indiana's got to put their, put its best foot forward because they got to land these guys. I mean, it's getting late in the game to have, you know, not have a class put together uh, for next year. Uh, so most of these teams that are that most of these programs that are still going after guys have a number of commits in the bank, and Indiana's really sort of put it until late with this class. And we talked about that months ago that hey, you need to start stacking some commitments, and they have not yet. So hoping they can come out of this weekend and maybe feel better about that moving forward. Yep. Uh, okay, here's what we're going to talk about this week. We'll roll, th- roll through some Hoosier headlines, then we will look ahead to that big recruiting weekend and just kind of reset it, make sure everybody understands what's happening, who the players are, and then we got a whole bunch of mailbag questions that we will answer. All of that coming this week on Assembly Call Radio. But first, let's talk about our presenting sponsor. Yes, this edition of Assembly Call Radio, just like all shows on the Back Home Network, presented by our friends at Homefield Apparel, where they have the largest collection of vintage IU apparel that you'll find anywhere. And it's not just IU. Pretty much every college or university you could want is represented at Homefield Apparel or will be represented soon. And you can go there and find these incredible old logos that you know haven't been used in years. They're printed on soft, comfortable fabrics. They last through many washings. It's just a great product. And, you know, my favorite part about Homefield Apparel, which I've said many times, is how much they respect the traditions of the schools that they are, uh, that they're featuring and just of college football and college basketball in general. You know, at the beginning of this football season, they released uh, the big, you know, team packs where you got like a shirt and a, you know, joggers and a whole bunch of stuff. You know, two of the seven or eight teams that they picked, Colorado, which obviously is having its big resurgence under Coach Prime, and Indiana. Which, look, the offense, you know, a little bit of a struggle last week, but the defense certainly was resurgent, uh, and so that's good. And when we say that the guys at Homefield Apparel are our friends, we mean it. And Connor, next week, he's coming on the show. So if there's any questions that you want to ask Connor about Homefield and what they're doing, cue uh, them up, let us know, and we're going to have him on here next week uh, to talk about what they're doing, talk about IU Sports and a whole bunch of other stuff. But in the meantime... Go to homefieldapparel.com and use our promo code HOME23 to get 15% off your entire first order. That's promo code HOME23 for 15% off. Again, the website, homefieldapparel.com. Wear one for the team. All right, guys, let's go through a few of these headlines. The first headline, of course, Coach, is the live podcast that you will be participating in at Upstairs on Saturday. You know, we've talked about doing something in the fall. This isn't really like the full big version of something we wanted to do. It just didn't quite work out. But I'm very glad that we were able to get something done. And so I appreciate, uh, you know, Galen for kind of taking the bull by the horns uh, and making that happen. Also, our buddy Matt there at Upstairs uh, for helping us out with that. But you'll be there with Galen. Griffin Gonzalez will be there. Taylor Lehman, who writes the excellent Bite Size Bison uh, email newsletter, which I highly recommend to everybody, uh, will be there. 
And so really looking forward to that. I don't know if the plan is to record and then, you know, make it available for people who aren't there live. We'll find that out. Certainly if we can do that, we will. Uh, but coach looking forward to, you know, hearing what all happens and, uh, hearing some crazy stories from Saturday. Yeah, we'll talk a little uh, Indiana football, uh, recapping uh, Ohio State and Indiana State, the game tomorrow. And then uh, we obviously are going to talk Indiana basketball and, and, and the recruiting weekend. And, you know, who knows who might be walking below us there at the upstairs pub. We maybe can uh, do, say some positive things and, and, and help the situation out. So it's going to be like 730 or it's going to be like 530. Coach is going to be like hanging over the balcony. Liam, Derek. <laughs> they walk by. No, it's going to be, I love you, Derek's mom, because she wants him to come to IU. Probably scare uh, him away. That's great. Um, all right. Our next story. And guys, let's be serious here for a moment, because this is a tough one. The Empire Classic tip times were announced. Indiana plays Sunday, November 19th, Ryan, at 1 o'clock Eastern time. What? It's, a pre- they- it's a pre-noon tip for you, and we just we all feel terrible. You know, honestly, I don't mind. the team it, For the team, it's afternoon, so I'm good with that. I mind the, like, yeah, the noon tip. Like I the think. 11 o'clock local tips or the... Yeah, that's what I mind. I don't mind the team you know, getting it afternoon. I, I mind that like when the, you know, when I, when I'm up at eight on a Saturday to watch a nine o'clock game in the morning like that, no, that's wrong. There's something wrong there. At one o'clock. I mean, I'll be awake for a couple so hours. So one o'clock, the game will start 10 o'clock your time. I would say it's an NFL Sunday, Ryan. You'll yeah. be up anyway. Don't worry yeah. about it. It's oh yeah, fun. that's no. true. <laughs> no, no, but I, I, I do hate the noon tip because I feel like everybody's always cold. I feel like it's not the normal warm up for guys. And I feel like it's forced to be that early. Like I get that there are television reasons for all of these things, but you get a really crappy product usually for those early, early tips. And, and I mean, I don't know why you'd want to put that on television if both teams are, you know, tight and cold and all that stuff. So uh, that's, that's my problem with it. It's usually just not fun to watch. And Indiana traditionally doesn't play very well in those for whatever reason. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll be fine with a one o'clock tip their time. That's fine. Let it go. Good. So it's IU UConn Sunday, the 19th at one. And then of course the next day, then the third place game will take place at four 30 Eastern and the title game will be Monday night at 7 o'clock Eastern time. The winner of IU UConn will play the winner of Texas and Louisville uh, for which the Empire will be Classic, Texas. <laughs> which will most likely be Texas. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, in other news, I don't know if you guys saw this, but the National Bobblehead Hall of Fame has unveiled two Bob Knight bobbleheads. Uh, which led to the press release that included this statement, which is, we're thrilled to be honoring my father's legacy with these limited edition bobbleheads in collaboration with the National Bobblehead Hall of Fame and Museum, said Pat Knight, the son of Bob Knight and founder of Knight Legacy. I think these bobbleheads are a great tribute to my dad's legacy and the passion that he had for basketball and life. That sentence really just threw me for a loop, and I had to read it like 15 times. Incredibly awkward. I, I get what they're doing. It's cool, and a lot of people have bought them. But just, I think these bobbleheads are a great tribute to my dad's legacy. And, one of, there's something and the about fact that, that one of them is him throwing you a chair just makes this, takes that last statement and just go, takes it right over the top. Yeah. Like, so to be clear, I will probably buy these. So I'm not, I'm not saying I don't well, like them. There's the something Padres about it. The chair, 
Does the chair bobble? Like, it, does it wobble? No. Like you can. What they should have done is they need a bobblehead with the with the game face. Remember the game face press conference where he's doing all the faces. You need a bobblehead that changes the face every time. No, that, is, is the is the chair detachable? Be it's because like so the so. Padres, yeah. the Padres have Hassan Kim as the second baseman, and every time he rounds first base, his helmet goes flying off. It's a thing every time they can't make a helmet that fits him, and they've tried a number of times. So his bobblehead, the helmet is detachable, and so <laughs> they should do that with Bob Knights. It's just have the chair like spring loaded, so it just shoots out when you yeah, hit with like a with there. like a string on it, you can like reel it back in and like fire it out. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's great. So anyway, so those are there. Uh, you can check Bobble out Bob Knight Legacy and buy those. It's a limited edition, so I don't know how many there are, but they make great gifts, obviously. Um, and look, you know, we all love Bob Knight, so anything to honor Bob Knight um, is cool. Uh, let's see, future schedule information. So this was via reporting from Nicole Auerbach of The Athletic. At this time, it is unclear whether the conference is going to stick with 20 games a 20-game Big Ten schedule or alter the schedule either with more games or a flex scheduling model. So not a ton to discuss here, but just kind of something to flag that as we, of course, prepare it, to add all these teams to the Big Ten, we have no idea yet what's going to happen with the schedule. You would think that would be something they would – you figured that would be something they'd sort out before adding all of these teams, but no. – Right, you get the uh, big bag of money first. They're too busy then counting you the sort money. Everything they can't. Yes, yeah. it's true. So yeah. I'm going to be busy with that for schedule. quite some time. I was, yeah, I was too busy wiping my face with this money. So yeah, I, didn't, I was yeah. too busy throwing it into to the fire the to warm yet. my house. Yeah. Like they're all like Huel and Breaking Bad, and they're just laying, just laying back on yeah. the big pile of money. They'll have time. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, time for all that stuff later. Oh uh, and then we'll transition here into recruiting. So Austin Schwartz. Uh, is a name that was on IU's radar. I think he's from Ohio. Is he from Ohio? Uh, somewhere in the Midwest. A, known as a really, really good shooter. Um, and Indiana was recruiting him. He did not end up taking his official visit to Indiana, but he recently committed to Miami. Uh, so you can cross We didn't him get a shooter we were list. going after? We did not get the shooter that we were going after. <laughs> wow. We have become quite used to that, unfortunately. Uh, but hey, Liam McNeely, very good shooter. Curtis Givens is a good shooter. So there's other shooters here that we are going after. But Schwartz was really... I mean, that is his number one thing that he does is, you know, be a spot up shooter, uh, good off the, you know, on off movement as well. Uh, but he's going to Miami. Uh, so as we said, Liam McNeely, Derek Queen, Curtis Givens, all on campus this weekend. And that is what we are going to talk about next. So stick with us here on the assembly call. As we go into segment two, we are going to preview this weekend's huge recruiting visits. Uh, and then once you do that, we will answer your questions. That is coming next. Stick with us here on the assembly call. Boom. And hello, everybody. Nice to see you all here live. That is great on this uh, opening night of the NFL season. I, I couldn't help but as you were doing the home field read, you're like, oh, Colorado, who's experiencing this resurgence. And then you go in Indiana. And in my head, I'm going, who also has a football team? But you yeah. you went a different direction. So they have, they have uniforms and everything. <laughs> hey, uh, I, I did like the intro to Thursday Night Football tonight, Chris Collinsworth was saying, you know, he was praising Patrick Mahomes. He's like, I think America's ready to see just how good he is. I'm like, you mean the two-time Super Bowl winning, two-time MVP? America's still not aware of how good he is? Okay. I, I, think we're I would have been willing to wait until after last year's Super Bowl to see how good he was personally, but that's <laughs> yes. just... 
Sorry, Indiana. Yes. <clears throat> um, yeah, hey, look, Indiana football. Maybe we'll talk a little Indiana football later. Um, Do we have All to? kinds of questions about the offense. I was really impressed with the defense, though. I have to say, the defense has some dudes. Well, that I will say that. could be a fun that, unit to watch. So I'll say this. I agree, and I think they have some really good players, but Ohio State looked terrible offensively, too. And you could say, like, some of that is Indiana's defense. Yeah, I, I think agree. it was a combination of both. It was a combination. But I also think that, like, they just don't have a quarterback this year that's on the level that they're used to having. And I think that's the big the big problem with that. That's an issue. But also, both those quarterbacks were top 50 recruits. You know, they you were. Know, Marvin I just think Harrison, who's renowned as, like, the best receiver prospect in decades. Yeah. No, they're, they're, I think that the thing is they have talent. They're just not. Yeah. there yet like cj stroud when he took over was ready to take over you know all those other guys when they played yeah. were ready to go those guys it, did not look good no i think indiana's defense yeah. did have something to do with that absolutely it but helped ohio the de- defensive like coordinator uh was at ohio state last year too so mm-hmm. he kind of knew some things That's that might have given them trouble uh and put that into the game plan which is good to see that a coach you know actually had mm-hmm. a game plan to compete against a the other team on the side, other side of the line of scrimmage. <laughs> I, I, was, I was impressed with. That. I mean, you use every advantage, you know. Yeah, um, yeah I, I will tell you that people here in, I love when in Coach Ohio, gets totally sarcastic. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah, uh, I will tell you that people here in Ohio are definitely concerned about Ohio State's uh, yeah performance. It, on, that's uh, pretty, particularly that's, offensively. I think that's you know, pretty widespread. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, twenty point uh, conference some... win on the road, and it's darkest day too for Ohio hey, State. Fans. Look, it also was by over thirty. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> I mean, no, I, I, I'll say this too. I think Indiana, like, I mean, we're we're all gonna gonna talk about the offense at some point, but my God, did they I didn't even know there's have, anything left to say about the offense. Did they have any idea what they were doing? Like, you had spring football and fall camp to figure out an offense, and you brought that to the table, like. I am not optimistic. <laughs> yeah, like I, like I said before we came on, like I've tried to go through the different, and I, I know like yeah, Galen and Scott had talked about some different you know theories and, and different things like that. Like there's really no explanation for what you saw offensively that you can spin in any way that is positive. None whatsoever. Uh, no matter no matter what it was. It, it I mean, how the many line passes? was not a disaster would be the one thing I would say that's an improvement, but it's just because the bar was so low. And also, well, you're yeah. running the triple option, so all they have to do is fire off. They don't have oh. to, like, you know. I mean, like, there's no, it's not complicated. But like, would they have like three passing attempts in the first half or something like that? It's like, have you guys watched modern football over the last like seven to ten years? You well, the fact that one of them was on that fourth down was yeah. absurd. Yeah. Also, it's like you've coached the entire rest of the half in a way that suggests I just want to get to halftime, and I don't. And that is the one play of the first half that you were. I guess short of the other like long attempt that uh, yeah, Taven Jackson threw the one time, like the only yeah. aggressive play that you made was on fourth down, and you nearly, uh, well, and, and in reality, had the officials called the fumble on Ohio State that should have been yeah, it still would have yeah, been seven three either way. But again, it they was completely, it, it flew completely in the face of the way you you played and coached the, the remainder of the half. I don't understand There's, how you're not running a modern offense right now. Well. Like, you know, they overthought uh, shortening the game is what they did. And, and they, they used plays that they knew would eat clock. But you can do that with swing passes and get Lucas in, you know, just a safe little swing pass or a screen pass. Or in that situation, if you want to go for it at a minute, minute 15, throw deep on third and eight. 
Yeah. You know, throw deep. If it gets intercepted, it's at the five. Like, be aggressive there within your mm-hmm. game plan. But once yeah. it was fourth and four with 40 seconds to go and you haven't done anything, you're better suited just to punt. And, and then at some point, when you have a philosophy in basketball, we used to do this too, shorten the game, shorten the game. But at some point, you have a predetermined time when you start to play. Uh, I did that once. I hipped the basketball. It was 16 to 14 going in a sectional tournament game. And I said, get get us – Hold the ball to the fourth quarter, get us to the fourth quarter, and we'll play. We ended up getting beat by 16 because we played the number one team in the state, right? Started, started too soon. You should have started quarter didn't go well. <laughs> but I wonder yeah, what they were you, saying on the post game show after that one. But can't this guy started you, playing with the What whole I'm saying quarter. is they come out and say, oh, we, ha- we, we waited too long. We played pitter pat too long. Well, that should be set in your pregame plan. You want to get to a certain time, and then you're going to open up the offense. You know it might not work. It might end up getting beat by 25 or whatever. But if you're down 7, 10, 13, you have a shot, an a, a, a interception return. You have a chance of pulling a major upset, and you never, ever made an attempt at any point to change up. Um I I, it, I don't believe this, but it smacks of we just want to protect the score. That's what, that's what it felt like to me the entire game. I mean, it so really did. It didn't, not win it the didn't game, feel like they were playing to protect win. The it score. Like they, were, they were playing to keep it close. Nothing that's, they've that's said since has suggested anything otherwise yeah. either. Yeah. So. And honestly, if there, if you were ever going to beat Ohio State, this might have been the year. <laughs> like, I mean, first game, new quarterback, like all that. And yeah, so... All right, oh, wow. on to happier what topics. Yeah. On what to happier, happier topics. topics. The big recruiter podcast. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Beer oh, reviews great. by the Assembly Call staff. One of these slow off seasons. All right, <clears throat> here we go. Hey guys, it's Gene Steratore, CBS officiating analyst and retired Big Ten basketball official. You know I have never listened to the assembly call, and to be honest, I don't intend to. But if you listen, make sure you ignore anything Ryan says about officiating. He's really good from the seat of his pants, but I wouldn't trust him on the court with a whistle around his neck. Time has proven him wrong on virtually everything. Take care. We'll talk soon. All right. Thank you, Gene. Still waiting for that talk soon. We need to talk talk soon with Gene one of these days. Uh, I'm Jared Morris here with Coach Brian Tonsoni, Ryan Phillips, Andy Bottoms. Gentlemen, we are on the cusp of one of the biggest recruiting weekends really in recent Indiana basketball history. Um, Obviously, there have been very important recruits who have come. You can just think of the big recruits Indiana's gotten in recent past. And obviously, their official visit weekends were huge. But it really feels like there's a little bit extra riding on this one. You know, given, Ryan, what you said about Indiana not having a commitment yet, you know, the the coaching staff really, you know, they kind of looked at the 2023 class and didn't put in as much effort on the 2023 class as some other schools because I think they didn't like the talent as much. They figured we'll go in the transfer portal and let's really lay the groundwork for 24 and 25. We're a new staff. You know, we're a little bit behind on these 2023 kids. Let's lay the groundwork with this group. 
And that's fine. You know, for me, that was a very defensible decision to make. But now you got to start landing guys. And so a lot of work has been going into this weekend, which, as we mentioned before, features Liam McNeely, a 6'6 wing from Texas. He just took an official visit to Kansas. He has another one scheduled uh, to the University of Texas uh, coming up. It was originally thought when Chris Beard was there that, you know, Texas was kind of the early leader. Uh, Beard is now gone, and Indiana has done a lot of work to the point where every recruiting person that you talk to suggests that Indiana is way out in front on McNeely. It guarantees nothing. But it does mean that Indiana is sitting in a very good position as Liam arrives in Bloomington this weekend. He's the number nine overall prospect by 24-7, number eight in the 24-7 composite. And just to give you an idea, when he got done with his Kansas visit last weekend, I looked at the Kansas visit on 24-7. There were two two replies on the post three hours later. Uh, So obviously Kansas fans aren't that invested in this recruitment. But Brandon Jenkins from 24-7 said at the moment, I would say all signs point toward Indiana in this one. And Michael Swain from the Kansas board said, I'd second that. So Indiana enters this weekend in a very good position with Liam McNeely. His teammate at Montverde and very good longtime friend Derek Queen is a 6'9 center from Baltimore. He is a below-the-rim center with just incredible skill and touch and footwork, can just do so many things, and is a ridiculously productive basketball player. He recently took an official visit to Kansas as well. He has others scheduled to Maryland and Houston. This one does seem, you know, like a bit more of a, you know, a tight battle. Uh, Queen is number seven overall by 24-7 and number 10 by 24-7 composite. And then the third player in the mix is Curtis Givens, a 6'2 guard, can be a lead guard, can play off the ball. He is from Memphis. He's visited LSU uh, and Georgia Tech. He's number 54 overall by 24-7. And it sounds like he actually reached out to Indiana to kind of up the recruitment a little bit. You know, Indiana has been in on lead guards like Boogie Fland, who they're still expecting an official visit from later on. They had Jaden Mustaf in for an official visit. He is committing soon. It won't be Indiana. And obviously they went hard after Dylan Harper. Um, But Givens wanted to be recruited uh, a little bit harder. And so Indiana did. Um, And so he's a guy now coming with his Montverde teammates uh, for this visit. Uh, and you know, then, like we said, Boogie Flan coming in October Anor Botang is visiting on September 29th. Um, but you know, Ryan, to your point earlier, things are looking very good with Liam. I think everybody kind of looks at him as the first domino that can fall and help get other guys in the fold. But this is a big weekend that at a minimum, Indiana has got to get one of these guys to commit, not necessarily right now, but you know, by November, the early signing period, uh, and really for this class to be what Indiana needs, you probably want to get two or three of these guys and then either Fland or Botang um, and really kind of have all the hard work Indiana's done pay off with a top five class in the country. Yeah, I think that this is incredibly important given how some of the other recruitments have played out um, and and where you're at with some of the other guys. This is your this is the one that's been circled for months. I mean, I know the date wasn't set for months, but you knew these two guys were going to come together. Uh, the the Queen of McNeely, now you've added Givens. But this has been a focus for a long time, and you have to knock this out of the park. Like, absolutely crush this weekend. If you don't, and you don't get one of these guys, if you don't get both of them it, to some degree, you really have to start questioning things with the program. Like, like, like questioning what you're doing on these recruiting weekends to not close the deal. And, um, yeah, I, I think that this is, there's a lot riding on this. And I'm not saying it's, you know, it's, it's going to, the program's, 
you know, falling apart if they don't get these guys or whatever, but it is a big deal to land your top targets. You have to do that. And this program on long recruitments under Mike Woodson has not done that. They, they've been really good on short recruitments. They've been really good on transfers and, and just kind of, you know, but building long relationships and then being able to close them, they have not shown they can do that. So this is a chance for them to, to, to end that narrative, to just sort of cut that off, be able to say, Hey, the other guys, we just didn't recruit them. We didn't, you know, other teams, other programs had a two year advantage on us, whatever. They've had the time on this one. These guys go to a program. Indiana has recruited really well. These guys are interested. They want to go. They want to, they, there's indications they want to play together. Gotta close it. You have to close it and leave them no doubt when they leave campus that this is where they're going to school. Yep. And Andy, you know, to Ryan's point, because he's right, Indiana has struggled in some of these longer recruitments and they've really been successful in the short ones in the spring, you know, like in Baco and Tamar Bates and Malik Renew, where guys decommit and you can swoop in. This is really the first class where they've had the chance to go through the full cycle of like, let's lay the groundwork when they're young. Let's get them in for unofficial visits. Now we do the officials because they really didn't do that with many 2023 guys. And they were a little bit behind anyway. So it is true what Ryan says that they haven't succeeded as much in these longer recruitments. But this is also, I think, the first opportunity to really see it play out with you know them being able to go through the full cycle with a recruitment. And so that's another reason why, you know, it's really important that, you know, they do well because I think Andy, if you want to be a program that considers itself a top five, top ten program, which is where we all want to get, those programs, when they really focus on guys, they don't get them all, but they get a pretty decent amount of them. You know, and that's now what Indiana needs to show that they can do. Yeah, it it, it definitely is when you compare it to other classes that they've they've had like you said this is the one that's been the most complete and the and the most reflective you know maybe by their own choice with their thoughts on the the on last year's class but or the, i guess this uh, the class that's enrolled <laughs> that enrolled uh you know this fall and so you know i think it will be a little bit telling as to you know what they're able to do and does the approach that they've taken when given a little bit more time as opposed to some of these you know, we talk about the short ones. This is really the kind of first kind of long-term one and the others maybe in the middle uh, where you struggle to do what you wanted to do. And and so I do think it's, it'll be interesting. And, and I think what you look for is if you're able to, to get some combination of McNeely uh, or, or Queen uh, or, or I guess Flan, but I know that we're talking a little bit less about him, but you know, you can kind of get a couple of centerpiece guys and that gives you a lot of flexibility about what you want to do around them. Um, those are really the the cornerstone guys that they've wanted and they they've really invested in. And so, what that allows you to do, if you're able to get some of those guys, is you can be a little bit more selective about who you want around them, whether that's other freshmen or guys that you think, um, or or positions that you think you might want to look at in the portal or different things like that. I think it allows you a degree of flexibility going forward for where you want to spend your time for that class. That if you you know, look at it the other way. If you don't get those guys, there might be other guys that you'd be happy to take, but you might have bigger holes that you now have to fill in a different way. Um, you, you know, because you you didn't get these you know top ten uh, type guys that you that you really have put in the investment for. So, I think a lot of uh, implications uh, on on a variety of fronts uh, depended upon uh, you know to a certain extent how things play out this weekend, but but ultimately you know what these guys decide because to your you know point you made before 
probably not going to walk out of this weekend getting a commitment from uh, from verbally, but uh, at least put yourself in that position and, and set yourself up uh, to be able to, to to be a little bit more choosy as you go through the rest of the the process with this class. So, Coach, let's say that you know Liam and Derek and Curtis Givens they're on their visit. They go out with the players on Saturday. They're hanging out doing stuff, and their parents wander over to upstairs and decide to take a look at this podcast that's going on. Oh, it's going to happen. They, it's they hear happen. you. No pressure. They, they hear you referred to as coach, and say, you know, Mister McNeely comes up to you after say, "Oh, you're a coach, so you've been paying attention to Mike Woodson. Well, you know what my son does well. Why would he be a good fit in Mike Woodson's system? What would you say to Mister McNeely?" Because Mike Woodson's really great with talented players and develop them and getting them to the next level. Uh, he is going to take uh, what your son does and he's going to use utilize it for Indiana, but he's also going to put your son in a position to you know, reach his dreams of playing in the NBA. He's been in the NBA. What he does well is finds the, the, the motivation, the physical uh, development, whatever. Just look what happened with Jalen Hood, Shafino, and, and Trace Jackson Davis. Um, you know, your son's not only going to be able to do all that, but he's going to be play in front of a, a, a rabid crowd every night in Assembly Hall in a, in a great competitive conference. And you know, there's in my mind, it's it's the place to be um, if you want to go go further and, and play good college basketball. Now, I, I mean, he's just when you're the seventh or the ninth ranked guys you're you're headed to that next level uh at some point and it's the same you know with where and i think the track record early in in woodson's career is that these guys do have gotten placed and you have to use that the staff has to use that and, and then i would throw that out as well but mcneely is a playmaker at the small forward spot you know off the dribble shooting uh, all of those things i think that's i mean very we, underrated we really defender, that. too, by the way. Right. We, we need that. Queen skills. You know, he's not the rim protector that we're, we've been used to, as well as the offensive player, but he has just unbelievable touch and vision as a post player. And I, I haven't watched a whole lot of Gibbons. Um, but, yeah, you know, it, it's just a great atmosphere. I mean, how many people are sitting here listening to us talk about, you know, basketball on a 4 o'clock on a football Saturday? Uh you know, it's a tremendous place for a tremendous uh, uh, program. Send your kid. Here's ten bucks. I can do that now, right? With nil. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure ten bucks is good. Let me enough. buy you. <laughs> let me buy you this AMF. It's a great drink. Simply call nil. Here's here's ten bucks, guys. <laughs> come on. By the way, one I thing I got in my wallet. So one thing I want to mention on Curtis Givens, he's obviously a guy we haven't spent a ton of time talking about um, yet. But I know Tony is going to feature him in IU Film Room tomorrow. So, you know, for those of you who are in the community who have a subscription to IU Film Room, you'll get that tomorrow. If you don't have a subscription, go to iufilmroom.com. You can sign up. It's five bucks a month. Um, you can go back and see Tony's in-depth breakdowns of Derek Queen, of Liam McNeely, of Anor Botang, uh, Boogie Fland, you know, these guys that Indiana's really uh, going after. And Givens, he's, you know, is the guy he's going to feature next week. The thing to know about Givens, I think when you see him written up, a lot of times he's described as a point guard, but he can play both guard positions and actually has played a lot of off guard through his career. Uh, in the EYBL circuit, 
uh, most recently. He averaged 17.8 points uh, and shot 34.8% from downtown, 78% from the free throw line. So he can shoot. He can play off the ball. And so I don't think it's an either-or with him or with Boogie Fland. Um, I think if you get Boogie Fland, the ball's going to be in his hands from day one, and a guy like Givens will be able to play off of him. Um, but I don't think there's really an issue there um, with the two of those guys. So look, that is what's at stake. Um, huge weekend. Do you guys have any other thoughts? I know we've spent a ton of time talking about these guys. And again, if you want to know more about their games, um, there's obviously lots of free highlights you can get. But if you want Tony's breakdown, I highly recommend the IU Film Room because he's really done a great job of breaking down each player's strengths and weaknesses. But anything I else just find guys- it interesting that Givens has reached out and kind of recruited Indiana in, in a sense, um, want, wanting to get involved. If that is a match, and you have to trust the staff to wonder if if he is the you know a match. Obviously, you bring him in for official visit. That speaks volumes. You know, a kid wants to be in your program, and and all kids who answer calls and come on unofficial and official kind of at some point would like to be in your program. But if you're really asking if that's a part of what's happened here, that he really wants to be recruited a little bit more, he's really uh, has increased his interest. You know, if, if things go well, that that's a good sign too, because you, you why well, I, I did sell the NBA side to, to Mr. McNeely, you do want to play for Indiana and, and win for the Indiana community. And we got guys that are backing up the post right now that want to do that, you know, uh, sparks and Walker. And I think that's a big part of recruiting too, that I lose focus of, uh, sometimes too, is you also got to recruit the chemistry a little bit. You, if you, if you have 13 people who are all the superstars, there might not be enough basketballs, right? So you mentioned it, you know, get these people in and fit the the people around. Well, Givens might be a little bit of both uh, of that chemistry piece and a talented young man. That that was interesting uh, to hear from uh, my vantage point. Yep. And we did get one question uh, about this, and so we'll hit that now before we move into segment three from Blake. It says, on the IU Montverde quote-unquote pipeline – do you think Indiana has already officially established one, or do you think more Montverde guys need to commit first for it to be considered a pipeline? Well, I would say you got Jalen Huchifino, you got Malik Renew, you've got three guys on official visits. Um, you know, and there's other, you know, Indiana's talked with Asa Newell, and they've, you know, so there's other guys they've talked to as well. Um, yeah, Andy, I would say you got to land one of these guys this year. You can't come up empty, but you do that, and I think it's okay to start calling it a pipeline. <laughs> You know, the early stages of one, it's, you know, a couple year pipeline, um, but it's certainly something that will pay dividends that will continue paying dividends down the road because they're only going to keep getting good players at Montverde. Yeah, I, I would agree. I feel like you need to get at least one of them and to kind of continue that uh, that trend or that consistent year over year, you know, getting somebody from there. But but certainly, I think from a relationship standpoint, uh, it's pretty clear between them and the program that I think there's been good conversations back and forth. And, and I think if you look at. Uh, you've got some success stories and, and hopefully another one with Malik uh, as you look at him in year two, as you, as you look at that. So um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it feels that way. And I think that's a great place to go, uh, you know, looking for recruits and things like that. I think, you know, the one thing that you got to keep in mind is it, it can't be only that um, as you look, look forward, but uh, you look at the success of those and, and just kind of the, you know, there's always a, a translation from high school to college, but I think taking guys from a place like that helps mitigate a little bit of that uh, that shift as you go forward. But um, you know, I, I think it's 
it, it makes a ton of sense to do given um, the kinds of players that they've consistently churned out. And uh, so the fact that I use, you know, somebody who's involved with a lot of those guys and has had some success with guys they've gotten from there already is, uh, is only a positive. Ryan, did you want to? Yeah. One thing I wanted to say too, is this isn't, I think with the world now, when you're recruiting these kids and you're recruiting that program, it's not just about getting them out of high school because, Hey, one of these guys may choose to go somewhere else, decide it doesn't fit him. And the transfer portal is a big thing now. And so, you know, you're putting your best foot forward, maybe not for now. I mean, not with these three that are coming in this weekend, but I just mean in the future and you're, you're recruiting that program and that helps you long-term in other ways as well. And so I, I would I would say that there's no downside to recruiting that program as hard as they have. Yeah, you're putting a lot of eggs in that basket, but you're also seeing a ton of talent out of that program. So um, yeah, I, 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 I definitely think that, that, yeah, you've got it. You're right. You guys are right. You have to land at least one of these guys uh, this year to keep that going. But at the same time, there are also long-term dividends of, of doing this and focusing so hard on such a talent factory. The other thing too is you you want to develop these pipelines because they're good because players just keep you know sharing with the the new players coming in that there's nothing absolutely negative about it. But you also got to be able to go elsewhere too because what happens if there is a class that from Mount Verde that doesn't? So you know there's still some things that this staff needs to do recruiting wise. We've talked about the short term, the transfer portal knocking it out of the park. The long term, it's the first cycle. I agree with that. Mount Verde pipeline is awesome but they still need to keep growing and, and and branch out and get some of these people from other places as well to be a complete recruiting program. Uh, but yeah, they have to, they have to land at least one of these. If not, um, you know, I, I'm, the sky will not be falling by any means, but it, it just, uh, you know, you have to, it's one thing to be at the table. It's another thing uh, to, to complete the task. And you know, that uh, it's important because coach Woodson is a better coach X's and O's when he's got extreme amounts of talent. Uh, and if that extreme amounts of talent does not come, then, then I think, um, that's not the best position for coach, coach Woodson. He's just better in that. That's just, I think who he is as a coach, he needs to land these guys. And I believe he will, at least one of these three will be in an Indiana uniform. Coach, I want you to go on record right now. In the unlikely event that one of these recruits commits before the event Saturday at 4 o'clock, will you buy a round for everybody at Upstairs? No, I'm not very wealthy. I just redid my whole darn house flooring and everything, took out a loan. Got a got a tip jar on my desk at school for you know excess lunch money for the kids to share with me so I could have a cheeseburger. Uh, I would – Okay. you sent me the Coach AC credit card – Yeah, we'll do it. We'll do it. I mean, probably not going to happen, but if it does happen, we'll buy a celebratory round for everybody on Saturday. So just keep your keep your eyes peeled for that. Okay, uh, coming up here on Assembly Call Radio, we got a bunch of fun questions, wide range of questions, some sports, some not, exactly what you want to do in the offseason. So let's answer them next. Stick with us here on the Assembly Call. Chiefs lead 14 to 7. Freddie McSwain will be happy. Noted Chiefs fan, Freddie McSwain. Um, 
By the way, one, you know, our discussion there got me thinking about something, Ryan, what you said, and such a good point, which is even if you don't land a guy this cycle, you could see him in the transfer portal the next cycle. So does that suggest that it's smarter to have a smaller circle of recruits that you're going after and build really deep relationships? A, so you have a better chance to get them as high school players, but B, so that when they leave, you've got that really strong relationship developed, or should you cast a wider net? And try to have decent relationships with a whole bunch of players, you know, so well, that you've kind of gotten in when guys, uh, you know, might enter the transfer portal later. Or do you think it, the distinction of, doesn't matter? I, I think you need to do. I think it's fine to do both. I mean, like you know, I mean, I think you need to cast that wide net, but you also need to. That's the thing is, there's no limit on the time you can spend. I mean, there's certain amount of phone calls and all that, you know, like like or, or, or interactions, in person interactions you can have. But like, you pick your group, but you maintain relations with as many people as possible because you may have to go to your seventh option to get your roster filled out. I mean, you don't you don't have guys you wouldn't take on your list, but you may have to jump drop low, and then you may have to work harder developing that guy. You know what I mean? It's so I think that you need to be a program that is open to a lot of different options. Uh, and you have to be quite frankly, you have to be adaptable. Yeah, that is true. All right. You guys ready to hop in and do some questions? I got to get out of here. I got to go, go do uh, football. It's good to see All you right. guys. I got to get out of here folks. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. <laughs> I was waiting for you to drop it. Yep. I got you <laughs> later, everybody. <laughs> See you, man. <laughs> See you. Clearly, I was wrong. Yeah, that's true. You were. Okay. Here we go. <clears throat> What's up, y'all? It's Devontae Green, giving you the green light to watch Assembly Call after every IU game. Just don't listen to their opinions about shot selection. Remember, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Go Hoosiers. Thank you, Devontae. It was awesome seeing Devontae back in town last weekend. Um, like I said, in the banner moment, it was just great seeing guys who span different you know, eras with different coaches back together. That's what we have to get back to. So, so glad we saw it. I'm Jared Morris. Ryan had to bounce uh, to do some NFL stuff. Coach is here. Andy's here. And it's time for our mailbag. Uh, we've got questions from our private community. We've got questions from Twitter. If you do want to join the community, you can go to assemblycall.com slash community. We've had stuff going on all offseason. That will obviously ramp up as we get closer to the season. Uh, but join us. Antonio Adrania's IU Film Room content is included when you join the community. Uh, so go to assemblycall.com slash community if you're curious. And if you have any questions, just uh, reach out and let me know. I'll be happy to answer them. Uh, okay, questions. First one from James. He says, does Nick Bosa's five-year, $170 million contract with $122.5 million guaranteed set the market for Ryan's next contract negotiation with the assembly call? Uh, look, if we're going to start paying that much money to Ryan, he's got to start hosting shows. We give the big salaries to the people who host around here uh, because they're earned. And so uh, Ryan was kind of grandfathered in. But uh, he's going to have to host if he wants that kind of money. So Andy's getting Joe Burrow money. Uh, you know, Coach is getting Patrick Mahomes money. Uh, I'm getting my Jordan Love money over here. And that's okay. But I'll, i got to prove myself, get my next contract. Coach Marlowe, we get paid. <laughs> <laughs> 
Coach Marlowe should get paid more than Ryan. He hosts more than Ryan. Um, no, James' actual question was, do you think if you could go back in time and snap your fingers and hire Coach Prime to coach IU football, do you think he could achieve the same level of success or at least overnight transformation at IU? Or do you think, given Colorado's history, it is more likely to be successful there? Uh, this is a really interesting question. I'm curious what you guys think about this. Andy, you want to take a stab at it first? Yeah, it's too bad Ryan left because he he made a little bit of a face when coach or when you brought up uh, Coach Prime earlier. I, I feel like so. I feel like you'd have a a hot opinion on this. Uh, you know, my my stance on that in general is uh, certainly impressive what he's done. I want to see how it can be sustained over the course of a season, multiple seasons, if he's there for that that period of time. But I do think. He should just um, retire right now. Just, you know, like I, the George Costanza, I, yeah. go out on a high note, man. Yeah. I, and admittedly, uh, I do not have a soft spot for Deion Sanders as somebody who used to play for the Cowboys. So I, I do, the Eagles fan in me does find it a little bit difficult to, uh, to, to really, <laughs> to really like him. So that's, <laughs> that's my own, that's my own personal problem though, I guess. Um, I, you know, I, I think in the era that we are in now with the transfer portal, I, it's possible. I mean, you look at the number of new players that IU got this year. Now, could a guy like him have allowed you to have similar roster turnover, but get better players than what you got based on the excitement that he brings? Possibly. I, I don't know how much he's really selling Colorado's football history. I would assume very little. Um, so I don't know that the history part of it really has all that much to do with it. So I guess that means my answer is is yes, that he would be able to uh, to make a similar transformation uh, in terms of being able to attract people there. Um, because like I said, I don't, I, I, my sense is that he's not selling people. Is there more history there? Absolutely there is, but I don't know that that is in any way a significant part of a recruiting pitch that he would make to somebody that he's, he's trying to get in the door. I mean, we know if he was coming here, certainly Shador Sanders would have followed him and we know Travis Hunter was going to follow him anywhere. So you'd have those two guys. So it's very possible that, you know, he was going to turn over the roster wherever he went. And he was going to get people excited and get his guys believing in him wherever he went. So just like they went on the road and beat TCU, could an Indiana with Shador Sanders and Travis Hunter and a bunch of other people have beaten that Ohio State team on Saturday? We certainly would have had a better offensive game plan. So maybe the big question, coach, is sustainability, you know, and that's the thing. I mean, Colorado has been a bad program, but that's a program with national championship upside. Like we've seen it in our lifetimes and we've seen, you know, good coaches come through there. Bill Mallory coached there, you know, uh, Gary Barnett and Bill McCartney and, you know, Rick Neuheisel. Like they've had coaches there who have had success, you know, and, and I think ultimately they can kind of recruit the West Coast and, you know, they can come down into Texas. And so they've got a little bit of a bigger recruiting base. So I think Colorado is probably set up better for long term. But, you know, I think I think in this day and age of college football, I think Dion's going to be successful. And I think he's going to win anywhere he goes. It's just, you know, what level is that going to be at? Um, you know, in, Indiana's just, no matter who you get in, it's a tough job for that person for just some systemic reasons and, and the reasons that we all know. Um, but I certainly think we would have put up a better fight against Ohio State if we had had Dion and the guys that he would have brought. Well, 
I, I think that the history part is it helps the the rebuild be f- faster because they'll sell out the stadium and they'll bring all that championship feeling back and the, yeah. and the crowd and you're not necessarily I agree with Andy he's not selling Colorado's history but it's much easier to sell prime time and what he's doing when you got a, a crazy fan base and they're running through the streets already and they're doing that 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 has been there it's kind of like. I'm not saying Colorado football is like Indiana basketball, but we get to a final four, you know, that, that it's, it's inherently here. And there's some parallels. Uh, the, the NFL pedigree of Deion Sanders and the NBA coaching pedigree of coach Woodson. Why are, why are kids coming to IU? Um, a lot of these kids didn't even know IU when it was really that big of a program, but they're coming for a chance to play to get to the next level and his NBA expertise and Carmelo Anthony phone calls and all of those things. The, the, what I find in, in Coach Sanders is you've got to um, separate the celebrity and the show from the actual job that he's doing as coaching and realize how hard it is to take a 1-11 program who's beat by an average of like 28 points, clear house, and set the tone so early. Like, I'm getting rid of these guys, I'm bringing these guys in, and then putting together a game plan on the road against a team that was in the national championship. Like... It's not a false creation. Is it sustainable? We don't know. It's one game. He's going to run up against USC and Oregon, and the talent you know, might have just played well one game. Um, but he won at Jackson State. And, and I'm telling you that if you can motivate, uh, we all know coaches who try to motivate and don't get it done. He, he has a history of motivating at Jackson State, and so far early, at Colorado in his way, whether you like it or not like it, that's coaching. Like I love the D and the L on the, on the shirts instead of C for captain. (laughs) I got my dogs and I got my leaders that speaks to the athletes right now. Right. It's that language. It's that, you know, you're my dog, you're my leader uh, type type deal. And it's just a little bit different than when those kids go somewhere else or go, go for that, you know, Dabo Sweeney, right. He got to start out recruiting Dabo um, soon. That would have played at Indiana. It would have been a harder sell to get 53,000 in. He would have had to win first before that would have happened. But he would have brought in 60 kids that could have played because that's if you're going to play for Dion, you better, you better be a dog or you better be a leader. And he demands football play, and he demands confidence. Um, and that's a skill that's hard. Uh, we, probably good coaches don't have that, that level of skill. Um, and, and someone told me today, uh, teachers, we were talking about it, He's a guy who says it, and then he does it. And for me, I respect that. I'm going to play baseball. He goes plays for the Reds. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, intercept this pass, and, and I'm going to talk trash. I'm going to do that. I'm going to come to Colorado. You guys are going to pack your bags. And then he says it, and he does it. Like so many people say stuff, and we, especially locally, and then they don't back it up with fundamentals and good strategy and everything else. So far, he's backing it up. Uh, I'm a big, big fan. I don't know if I love all the show. But I'm trying to find my own theme music now for when I walk into the classroom. <laughs> Get Bob Thompson on it. He'll create some theme music yeah. for you. Uh, Give me my be, theme music. He's getting the alums ready. Man, my dad was so excited to get out there to Fort Worth and go to the game, and he's going to the alumni events and posting pictures on Facebook. Yeah. He hasn't posted about Colorado football in 10 years, and he's all excited yeah. about it. <laughs> uh, it's so no nonsense. And that plays, yeah. that would play wherever you go. It's no nonsense. I, I, I guess it is a little nonsense, the show, but when it gets into that football stuff, it's, we're going to knock you back and we're here, you know, we're here and yeah. you don't believe us. And we're going to, we're going to knock you around the field. And he's also smart enough to know 
that if he keeps the attention on him, it lessens the pressure on his players. So he's going to say stuff in press conferences and do stuff that gets everybody up in arms. Oh, why is he saying that to the media? It's not the media's job to believe. He knows that. You know, but he's also trying to get this us against the world mentality. And that's what's going to be interesting. They succeeded with the underdog card and the us against the world mentality. What do they do now with expectations? Like Tom Crean, for example, I thought was a coach that as an underdog was awesome. You know, and you know, you rank them, we spank them, all the upsets that we pulled with Crean. But then when there were expectations, kind of felt like things were wound a little bit too tight or just the team didn't seem to quite have the same verve that it had, you know, when, when it wasn't. So it's going to be interesting to well, see the whole journey. Um, but I think, I just think Dion's a great fit for what college football is right now, which yeah. is, you know, bald face, if, if you're going to play and, and yeah. ambition, it, you got to consistently back it up. Indiana football was better as an underdog in the first four years. And, and we played that woe is me. And, Old, we had we got to go play Ole Miss instead of going to the Florida game, and and all of a sudden it ran out. Like Dion's got to be careful; it, it yeah. could run out. The hype uh, has to just be backed up with a little bit of reality. But uh, you couldn't ask for for a better start, and <laughs> I think it would be cool to have him at IU, <laughs> someone like that. All right, here's a fun one. This is from Bob Thompson, the aforementioned Bob Thompson. Uh, what would the dynamic be like if the four hosts watched a primetime marquee game together? Could you enjoy the game or would you just be thinking about the post-game show? How would that go, do you think? Ryan would be talking a lot and not allowing anybody to concentrate on what's going on. That would definitely happen. I've sat next to Andy for enough games to know how intense he is during the games. Um... I don't know. I tend to be a little quieter now because I'm like taking notes and doing stuff and trying to right. tweet and pay attention to all that stuff. So I probably wouldn't say a ton. Um, I don't know. I think we could. I think we could do it. I actually, I think there would be less interaction than maybe expected, just because we're all kind of getting prepped in our own way, and then we'd come talk about it on the show. That would be my guess. I actually, th- I actually think it would be helpful in some ways because you'd probably call stuff out. And the the group True. could be like, oh, hey, well, we definitely want to talk about that that just happened as opposed to – True. Uh, or if there's something I thought was notable, then I'm not solely reliant on myself to remember it by the time we actually do the show. So for me, that's a positive. So mm-hmm. I think it, I think it actually might actually help the quality of the show would be my guess. But, uh, yeah, I don't know what the interaction would be like during the actual game but in terms of like what it would what it would lead to from a show perspective. I think it would be good. Although – I think it could also lead to like, oh, well, let's not try to talk too much about this so right. that we actually talk about it on the show. Because you might be right. then, so there's maybe some negatives too where you end up rehashing a conversation that you already had. But Yeah. Although, Andy, the one time we were, the Xavier game, we were just fans, right? But we weren't on the show. So we didn't yeah. really right. have to concentrate. Yeah. But I, I mean, I drank yeah, way more than I would. I drank way totally more during different. that than I would have to, you know, to <laughs> yeah. be ready for um, the show. Also. The prepping for the show. <laughs> But sitting next to you guys and and knowing the friendship that we've had from the video shows, it, it would be hard not to have conversations. But yeah. I do agree, um, Andy, that it would benefit because I think our text exchange is at times really benefit because you you think what someone's saying and then there either is, um, yeah, we all agree or maybe one of us disagrees on something and then we can kind of formulate that whether we want to bring that to the show or not. Um, so we already do that a little bit from afar. We're not next to each other, but the in-person thing I think would be, we're not together that often, you know, it'd be more of a, 
you know, that might take away from my preparation because I like to talk to you guys and don't want to be taking notes, you know, but um, it would be interesting. Our in-game text chain, which is 98% Ryan and coach bitching about the offense. And then Andy <laughs> coming in with a with a good observation, and me taking exception with to some stats said and arguing with him. Yeah, that's what the, that's what the text chains are pretty much like. Pretty the good stats. <laughs> uh, also, uh, Bob uh, or, or Coach Bob says, just for Coach, do you think basketball is a guards game? You've been unclear on your stance. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, Bob, that I haven't really clearly stated my position. <laughs> so let me say it once again. Yes, sir. Basketball is a guards game. <laughs> we need more of them. Bring on Givens. That's right. Ah, that's more funny. Guards. Uh, okay, Wayne. Hey, Bob. Asked- how did you do on the trivia, Bob? <laughs> wow, we had some trash. Yeah. Wow. One of my favorite parts of that was the the text that Bob got from his dad during that that just said "rough yeah. night." That was that was among the highlights <laughs> of that show for me. That was great. <laughs> Uh, Bob is awesome. Um, all right. <laughs> Wayne says, I recently watched a video on how Damon Bailey's career as a player was quote unquote stunted. The channel asserts that Bailey would have been better off going elsewhere than IU. I had never considered this. So was curious your quick thoughts. He linked it here. I've watched this YouTube video before. Um, it, this, this is always such a difficult question because it's like, okay, where else was he going to go? What was that situation going to be like? How much better of a co- like? And this is the issue with Damon Bailey. It's like, how much better do you want his college career to be? He was awesome, and he was part of some great teams, and he was a key member of all of those teams whose game shape shifted based on what the team needed. Uh, you know, and he's top ten, top fifteen in all these categories. So I know he didn't win like National Player of the Year and didn't have a big NBA career and all that stuff, but. I don't know, man, for the expectations that he had coming in, I think he basically fulfilled them. I don't know what more you could ask for. And, you know, now now maybe if, you know, if for him personally, the experience wasn't as fun because of the pressure and that kind of stuff. And I don't really know. I don't, I mean, he, he, give, he very rarely gives interviews. And so I'm still a little bit unclear on kind of how he feels about that stuff. That would be the one thing that might make me feel differently. But from a basketball standpoint... I don't feel like his growth was stunted under Coach Knight. I mean, Coach Knight knew how to coach great players, uh, you know, and how to put teams together that made sense. And Damon got better every year. You know, obviously had to fight some health issues and stuff, but I don't know. I, again, if you if you get into some personal stuff, you know, and maybe there's something there to be revealed, maybe it's different. But from a basketball perspective, I have a real hard time with that argument. Um, I don't know. Do you guys feel differently? Coach, I, I I think you're spot on because that's how I was prepared to answer it. Uh, unless the pressure and, and playing just up the road from home, uh, what was a lot uh, that that he would have benefited, but stunted the game. I don't know. I didn't watch the video. Um, I actually think the motion offense that Coach Knight run was really good because he was a he wasn't a a point guard. He wasn't a, a huge uh, athletic you know jump out of the gym lob guy. Uh, and that motion offense put him in position to get open shots, to put the ball in the deck, to score in the lane, which is what he did a lot in, in high school. So I think from a basketball standpoint, the offense really um, fit his style of basketball as opposed to a, a fast-paced you know, UNLV, North Carolina, something like that. I don't know where he was recruited on that. Um, but um, 
you know, he was one of those guard forward types in college where, you know, um, he did a little everything in, in high school. Um, you know, coach Marlowe reminds us that, that he started at center and played low post sometimes. And then, and, and to transition to major college basketball, I, I, I don't see where he was stunted other than like you say, um, if there was some personal wishes that, that he would have done something else. I, so I, I don't necessarily buy that. Yeah. It's hard to, to isolate or, or decouple the whole recruitment and all of the attention that he got before he even stepped foot on campus um, from what actually happened. Right. Like, so could you say, well, if he had all the attention on him from a recruiting perspective, but then decided to go someplace else, like I, I mean, maybe that's, you know, to a place that wasn't as emotionally invested in him um, for that long, would that have been good? But I think that speaks a little bit more to the personal part that, that you mentioned that I, I think that could have been uh, something, but I, I don't know. Yeah. It, it's, it's hard to, to think about, you know, if he goes someplace else, does he maybe score a little bit more? Maybe. Um, but from a team success standpoint, which he always, you know, I, I felt like is at least my recollection is, you know, that was always something that was at the forefront of things that he talked about, whether it was even going through his high school career and was, you know, at the very least said the right things in that regard in terms of, you know, wanting to be on successful teams. And if you look at it that way, man, it's hard to, uh, hard to argue with some of the teams that he was a part of. So yeah, I, I, and I didn't watch the video either. So maybe there's a little bit of context that I'm lacking, but, um, yeah, I think the reasons that I would, say maybe he could have benefited have not a lot to do with basketball um, when it really boils down to it. Well, as John says in the chat, Damon's bad knees stunted him. Yes, I would agree. I mean, that hurt him, you know, more than anything. Um, but great career, great Hoosier. And certainly we're glad that he came here. Mm -hmm. And I just, I don't really, again, and I remember watching that video and I don't recall being very compelled by the argument that that was made. Um, Let's go with this question um, from Martin Hillary. He emailed this to me earlier today, and it's a really good one. It says, lots of talk about how we need the sophomores to make a big step up from their freshman years. Who in the past has had a sophomore step forward that we would like to see this year's class mirror? My answer is Tom Coverdale. He went from a deep sub to significant player between his freshman and sophomore year. That's a good one. Um, and so I was going to you know, go through you know, kind of team by team and start looking at these and actually found more recent examples than, you know, than I remembered. Um, and I think, you know, a few of them are relevant here for guys like, you know, CJ Gunn obviously is a shooter and a score. So he needs to take that jump in terms of shooting and scoring. Caleb Banks jump is a little bit different. I mean, obviously he needs to bring some offense, but I think his jump will really be more uh, defense and disruption. Um, and obviously you want the scoring to come, but that's a little bit less critical for him than it is for CJ. Um, so let me read out a few of these and I think you'll be able to kind of see both guys and how they might fit in here. So Armand Franklin had a big one. He averaged 3.7 points and shot 26% as a freshman and then averaged 11.4 uh, points and shot 42.4% from three as a sophomore. If CJ Gunn could do something like that, it would be incredible. But Armand played a lot more minutes as a freshman than CJ did. Um, Al Durham is another guy who averaged 4.8 points and shot 28.6% from three as a freshman, as a sophomore, that jumped up to 8.3 points and 34.8% from three. That one I think is probably a little bit more relevant. Um, uh, you know, now Al played a lot of uh, minutes as a freshman too. Um, you know, and so he and Armand, 
you know, Armand was ranked around 125, 130. Al was down in the 200s. And CJ was ranked, you know, kind of in that 130, 140 range wherever he ended up. Um, so those are somewhat comparable. But again, both and Armand played a lot more minutes as freshmen. OG Ananobi obviously had a big jump from 4.9 points as a freshman to 11.1 uh, as a sophomore before he got hurt. Troy Williams, seven points as a freshman, shot 20% from three-point range as a sophomore, jumped to 13 and 46.2%. Although, you know, he was a top 50 recruit, um, and so you kind of expect a jump like that from that kind of guy. Yogi obviously had a big jump, but that's not really comparable. You know, he was a McDonald's All-American point guard um, who jumped from seven points to 17.3 with the big exodus that happened after 2013. Uh, Will Sheehy had a big jump, 4.8 points, shot 30% from three to 8.6 and 38.6% from three. So you can go on and on. That's all I did. And that's just going back to 2013. You know, so there are other guys, you know, like a Robert Johnson, a Greg Graham. Both of those guys were very productive as freshmen, were similarly productive as sophomores, and then took a jump as juniors. Um, And you've seen that, you know, from other guys too. But curious, Andy, if anybody else, you know, kind of comes to mind who you think might even be, you know, more comparable. Um, in terms of as we look at CJ and Caleb. Yeah, I mean, boy, you look at the Armand Franklin numbers and you're like, man, if you could, you know, get get yourself that for uh, for CJ Gunn, you'd feel pretty good about it, right? Um, I'll take the so, Alturum. If CJ can just shoot 34.8% from three, I'd lock that in right now. Yeah. Yeah, I, I and I think, um, but I think both those guys played, even as freshmen, substantially more, even in, in semi-meaningful games than what CJ was really able to do. So I think that's where it gets a little bit difficult. Like, did he get enough of a taste to really, you know, is his starting point far enough behind where they were that that those are reasonable. But, um, and then Caleb, I mean, you'd really make the same argument for Caleb Banks, right? Like both Troy and OG or even Sheehy for that matter were, um, you know, playing in, in, in more situations, even if limited time, uh, more kind of high pressure situations than he really was. So, you know, even if you, you know, look on the, you know, the quote unquote low end of that with a Sheehy, that would be a huge jump for, um, for him. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, there were probably more, um, as you said, maybe more candidates to, to pick from than I might have initially thought. Uh, and quite honestly, with a couple of these guys, I was actually surprised that their freshman year production was what it was. Uh, uh, when you when you look at it here, um, so I think some of them started from you know further along maybe than than I, what I would have even thought. You know, and the, boy, the thing, coach, that jumped out to me, especially when I looked at Armand and Al, is how far our rosters have come. I mean, if CJ Gunn came here in, in Armand or Al's seasons, he would have had to step in and basically start right away. And a guy recruited in the hundreds is not a guy who's supposed to come and have an impact from day one. They're supposed to do what CJ and Caleb did last year, which is get some spot minutes, kind of get your feet wet. Then you develop a little more as a sophomore, and then you're a major contributor as a junior or senior. That's what the path is supposed to be. And we're in a position where we might need a little bit more from CJ than we want as a sophomore, but he's not even expected to start, right? He's got Trey there. But man, we were just trying to push a boulder uphill having guys like Armand and Al who were fine players. And I think, you know, it's not a criticism of them. They were just asked to do too much too young to with the expectations at Indiana. So I do think it is a sign of how far the rosters have come, how far the talent has come, 
that we can have what I think is a much more reasonable conversation about CJ than I'm sure we were having about Armand and Al. Yeah, the you know the interesting those comps uh, and the growth that the, those guys had. It's the old saying that everyone says: the best thing about freshmen is they become sophomores, and it's timing. I've said it over and over again. It's not a question of when those two are ready to play major major minutes and contribute. It's when. You know, it would benefit Indiana if that was in November, uh, but I do believe in them regardless of what their early play is going to be. Where the roster situation I find uh, to be fascinating is true is we really don't need major contributions. We just need a good, productive 16 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever their role is going to be carved out to come in and play some solid defense, to get some rebounds, to hit some threes, depending on who we're talking about. And so that's not that far-fetched to say they're going to make that improvement from freshman year to sophomore year to go from very limited run to just now, you know, substitute uh, time. But that's important. It's important for foul trouble, for injury, and all of those things. And if they do have, you know, Al Durham-like improvement numbers, that's pretty good for your uh, seventh man, sixth man, you know, whatever slot those young men will be in. Uh, And that's why I think I've always said – their development is the key because without them, now you're just five or six deep. Uh, if if their if their growth and that improvement is delayed, so the question that I have with your numbers is, was the jump for some of those guys because they played major minutes? Uh, you know, yes, you don't want them to play those major minutes, as you said, but do we see how much growth do we see from someone who got uh, a lot less minutes than Armand and Al Durham and everything uh, on the court their freshman year? But yes, I still will say that a lot of our success, our ceiling or breaking the ceiling, wherever we define that, is hinged on that quality depth coming in for those uh, those reserve minutes. Yep, I agree with you. Um, okay, let's see. The Hoosier author says, why do recruiting rankings for certain players vacillate depending on the school to which they commit. Uh, do you guys have any thoughts on this? I mean, I think it's it's kind of something that we've seen, you know, especially when guys commit early to a big known program. It kind of it does kind of seem to lock their ranking in. Now maybe if they just have a disastrous, you know, session at one of the live sessions or whatever that can change. But, you know, look, I think so the he says why. Well, the why is because the people who are ranking are humans. And all humans are, you know, limited by our brains, which means that we are, you know, our thoughts a lot of times are dictated by our cognitive biases. So, you know, you have the anchoring effect, right? Where, okay, this is a top 10 guy. I've seen him. He's committing to Duke. This is a top 10 player. And even if he's not playing like that, you know, your initial impression is a hard one to change, you know? And so you have this confirmation bias where it's you're looking for the good plays and maybe you're overlooking the not so good ones, where if you were looking at this guy with fresh eyes, instead of with all the baggage that he's got now because he's a Duke commit and blah, 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 you might be able to look at him more objectively. So the answer of why, that's the answer of why, because it's humans ranking and, you know, humans are, you know, we are what we are. We know, (laughs) you know, the good and the bad. Um, So that's why. And I think, you know, he says, depending on the school to which they commit. And again, it's because when a guy commits to a better school, now you're anchored to that thought of, okay, that guy's a Duke player and Duke players are, you know, five stars or high four star guys. So he must be that. And on down the line. Um, is there any other explanation besides that one, Andy? No, I, I think you're, you said more eloquently what I was thinking, which was 
you know, in some of these cases, I think it's hard as humans to say, look, they see something in this guy. Maybe I'm missing something in my evaluation yeah. of this player. Uh, and maybe to your point, it forces you to take a different look at them and, and things like that. I, um, you know, because, oh, such and such school wouldn't normally recruit somebody who's ranked in, you know, here uh, or something. So I don't think it's anything uh, nefarious by any means. I think it's just a matter of, um, you know, kind of the, the human element that you talk about and trying to, to position your view while also looking at how others in the, you know, quote unquote marketplace, uh, as it were, you know, would look at somebody. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm sure there is a human element. You know, a lot of these guys who are recruiting analysts have friends who are coaches, relationships with coaches, you know, and if one of those assistants they have a good relationship with just got a commitment from a five, maybe a borderline five-star guy, you don't want to be the one that knocks him down because this is your boy and it's good for him that he got a five-star commit. So, you know, and that stuff, it may be working subconsciously, not even consciously, but we all do that. We can try to be as objective as we can be. And I think it's just a great, practice as we get older to understand cognitive biases and try to be aware of them and try to be upfront with what our biases are so people know them, you know, and and try to work around them as much as possible. But you cannot ever completely get rid of it. You just can't. Our brains aren't wired that way. I would even add offers, not just commitments, probably do affect uh, that Fiora Badunga was nowhere on the rankings um, when he first started playing at Kokomo. And then all of a sudden, yeah, he's playing well in AAU, but I would imagine he got up the rankings once you started seeing North Carolina and, and Indiana and some of those schools starting to pay attention. Those analysts do a good job, but it's not an exact science. And when you have so many talented players across the nation, I mean, you just do. I, um, you know, any top 100 of a class is extremely talented. You know, you go from a 77 to 78, it's kind of hard. And so I think they do use commitments and they do use offers to say, well, I have this guy at 77, but man, all the big schools are there. So what am I missing? Right. That kind of analysis. Um, but that's why I try to look at those rankings as in just in general. Um, I don't get caught up in, you know, I know we have the seven and nine. What that tells me is these kids are really, really good. They're the very, very best of their class. Um, their first year, you know, so you guys. use, yeah, it, but I do think the offers who's sitting at a gym watching, you know, uh, those do things do influence whenever they put out, uh, put out their rankings. And I don't know that that's wrong. Um, but it does, you know, sometimes the rankings don't work out is, is, is you know, the number one guy's not always the number one pick, right? Well, so also who's a kid. You know, Eth- who? Hey, go ahead. No, the, I was the just young man say, that was at Memphis, right? And then he went to Eastern Michigan and Oh, Imani Bates. Next, yeah. Yeah, Imani Bates was highly re- recruited, highly ranked. Everyone put him there and he didn't he didn't pan out uh and now he's trying in the pros to to make it. So it's, And some guys build a big science. early impression like Imani Bates, but then as other guys right. catch up physically, like I remember gosh, yeah. way back in the day. Do you guys remember remember Shea Cotton? I just remember that name. I mean, I used to just like I mean, devour all recruiting lists. And I think, it, I think it was Shea Cotton who just had this huge reputation because he just out-muscled everybody when he was young. And then once everybody caught up to him, I think he ended up going to UCLA and didn't quite have the impact you know, that people thought. Yeah. And you know, the thing to remember about recruiting lists, too, is you know, you're trying to rank players from 1 to 150. 
I guess, in order of how they project as college basketball players. But the way that a player projects and how they're going to do so much is dictated by the system they go to. So you might have a player who's ranked 50th and a player who's ranked 80th, but because of the system, the the player who's ranked 80th is actually a better fit for this system, is going to have a better career. But, you know, just purely in terms of his tools as a player, he might not have quite been as high as this guy. But because he's going to be featured in the right way, now he has a better career. Oh, he was misranked. Well, it's just there's a there's just so much that goes into it. You know, so I think, coach, the best way to look at it is your way, which is we kind of look in terms of tiers. We know if we get a five star guy, he's projected to impact from day one. You know, if Curtis Givens comes as the 50th ranked player, sometimes those guys step on and start from day one. But he's probably a, a rotation guy from day one. And then when you get guys that are in the hundreds, they're guys you want to look at a little bit more developmentally. And if they pop in year one, like OG at the end of his freshman year, well, you've struck gold, you know, but that's probably not going to happen. And so you just got to keep it in, in perspective like anything else. Uh, oh, and then the Hoosier author also says, on a separate note, do you have any further expansion or partnership plans for the Back Home Network? Um, so that's a good question. One thing we have in the works is getting a website up. Um, which will compile all of our shows and make it easy to kind of find them and listen to them. Um, so that's there. And, you know, John, the guy who does our design work, really created some badass logos for the Back Home Network. And so hopefully we can kind of get some merch up and uh, make that available with those um, logos. And we're going to uh, redo the Assembly Call website too, probably, because that hasn't been done in like six or seven years. Um, so we need to do that. Um, obviously, you know, we've got. Uh, our partnership with um, Crimson Cast, us doing the work, and our buddies, Bob Motes and Mike Weemuth, uh, who a lot of people know as IU and Philly, are kind of in the background right now working on a new podcast. Uh, they've been doing a show inside of our community called Basketball Mythbusters, where they've essentially, you know, kind of taken, um, you know, focused a lot on recruiting so far, but essentially kind of taking some conventional wisdom. And seeing how much truth is actually there. And they've been fascinating conversations. Coach, you got to do one of those with me. Um, and they were great. And so I'm going to work with those guys on getting their show up. I think for the really analytical basketball nerds out there, it's really going to be for you. Um, and so be on the lookout for that. And, you know, I think it's uh, it's one of those things for all of us. It's kind of on the side, something that we do. So it never quite goes as fast as we want. Um, but we constantly have ideas and things we want to do to to make it better. And so we will continue to do that. But those are some of the things that we have uh, coming down the pike here uh, soon. Jim Tom Hoosier, Andy, says, Your favorite sports movies, excluding Hoosiers, which everyone knows is the best. What are your three non-Hoosiers Sports movies. Oh, boy. Three. Uh, I had a couple. Um, Major League, I would probably put maybe at the, the top. Um, remember the Titans I would throw in there? And then... That's pathetic. And then... Uh, boy, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I'll have, to, I'll have to come back with the third. Bags one. of cash. Just dropping some hints here. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> You just got to start thinking straight. You got to have blue chips in there. It was like a documentary about college sports long before. Uh, I, I need to rewatch that. It's been a long time since I've seen that. You know, sure. blue chips gets a bad rap. And I will admit, so here we talk about cognitive biases. I fully understand. I have an, you know, a, an irrational emotional attachment to blue chips 
because of, you know, being around the program in 93. And it was so cool when Nolte's there, like watching Bob Knight at Assembly Hall. And then, of course, you know, Cal- I mean, Indiana's featured in it. And then you got Matt Nover there. So I was primed to love this movie. And I did. And I still do. And I think Pete Bell's speech at the end is just, you know, it's a, you know, a great commentary on college sports that has only proven more true ever since. So I'm tired of Blue Chips getting a bad rap. I know it's not a perfect movie by any means, but it's really good. And I think for an Indiana basketball fan, there's even more reason to like it. So I'm throwing Blue Chips in mine. And you guys just laying out on me, not giving me any support. That's fine. Uh, I just told you I hadn't watched it in a while. I don't, know, I don't want to know what you want from me. You, you Field have- of Dreams and Hoosiers. <laughs> Field of Dreams, Hoosiers are my two Field of Dreams go-to sports movies. I, I remember the Titans is is a good one. Um, Breaking Bull Away, Durham. obviously, is a big one for us, us Hoosiers. Uh, the Sandlot is in there for me. I think that's one yeah. of the best. That's definitely one of the five best. I love, and it still Wendy holds up. Peppercorn. Wendy Peppercorn. Wendy Every Peppercorn. one of us had a Wendy Peppercorn at some point <laughs> in our youth. Yes, but was every one of us bold enough as squints to actually go do something about it? The answer is no. I was no. chicken shit. I know. Squints <laughs> ends up marrying her. Spoiler alert. I know. <laughs> squints. I I was at an IU game and a guy had a squints jersey on. Really? It was awesome. I took a picture with him. That's great. <laughs> uh, that is awesome. Um, and I would throw the Karate Kid in there too. The initial Karate Kid. I love that movie when I was younger. So, Jeff says Blue Chips is mediocre at best. Okay, Jeff. See yeah, I agree. Be. That's sorry, I mean, Jared. Jeff's worried about getting paid. That's you not are, that's not yeah, the way to do it. I just don't know how to. Sorry. <laughs> we got a tractor for you, Jeff. I'll drive it up to Rensselaer. It was a fully loaded Lexus. <laughs> uh, let's see. <laughs> we got. There's one more question here. Um, but let me find it. Oh, from Blake Brockman. How did you all get your start, and what advice would you give to a person considering starting a new college basketball podcast? Um, so, yeah, we, we've told the story of how we started a lot. I mean, to kind of give the short version, Andy Ryan and I did not know each other when we went to IU, but Andy and I had been working together on a site called Midwest Sports Fans. Ryan was working on his site, Rumors and Rants. And I had kind of gotten bored with doing a general sports show and wanted to focus on IU. And so the three of us had an email exchange about doing a show. And I was living on my own at the time. And, you know, games would end and I would want to have someone to talk about it with. So, you know, our hypothesis was that there'd be demand for a post-game show providing live commentary. And we decided to give it a try on Blog Talk Radio. And, you know, 11 games in or whatever it was, Indiana beats Kentucky with the watch shot. And... No, that kind of locked us into how exciting and fun it was. And that was, I mean, honestly, that was one of the most fun Indiana basketball seasons. Like in the last, okay, just in in our lifetime of Indiana basketball seasons, Andy, was that one in the top five most fun? Not most successful, but just most fun, given what had preceded it in those three years, kind of how unexpected it was for us to be that good. You got Cody Zeller, then you got this upset victory over Kentucky, like, I'd have to really go through and look, but if it's not top five, it's definitely top 10, um, just in terms of pure joy and fun. And that was the first season that we did the show. Yeah, I think the ones that 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd have to go back and think about it too, but it, it feels like it would be hard to push it out of the, the top five in that scenario. Just if for no other reason than it was, I mean, yeah, you'd seen bits and pieces of maybe there was a next step to be taken, but the next step was so big and it, you know, they kind of proved that even that Kentucky win wasn't just a, you know, flash in the pan blip of, Oh, Hey, maybe things are going to get better, but there's still hard times to come. And and I think the other thing to go back to something you said before is like they were still kind of the underdog in that scenario, and it was a lot more enjoyable yeah. to, to to that than spin it forward a year and the pressure of the entire season of all right, well everything is kind of framed up in the sense of can this team make a final four and do those kinds of things, and you didn't really have that. You were just really enjoying the ride, and I just remember that was a season that was just like hard to hard to see end um you know to a certain extent just because it had been such a fun year and they had um you know played so well and, and even played well in the game that they lost in the tournament where it was like man it's just a fun team to watch that uh yeah. that uh you know i think definitely holds a a place in a lot of iu fans hearts for sure yeah, so we did that, and that was, you know, 11, 12 years ago now. Um, you know, we were fortunate enough that Coach was in the, you know, in the chat a lot, providing awesome commentary um, and a perspective that we didn't have, which was, you know, someone who has, you know, coached the game, at least at the high school level. Um, and so, you know, Coach ended up becoming just an integral part of what we do. Sometimes it's it's even hard to remember that Coach wasn't there from the beginning. Like, I have to remind myself of that because he's just become such a, you know, such an integral part of the team and, um, and what we do. And so, you know, we've just tried to get a little better every year. Um, and, you know, look at it as more than just kind of getting on here and producing episodes, but really trying to lead a conversation and have a community. Um, and I think that's what kind of keeps us, you know, keeps us coming back. And so to your question about what advice would you give to a person considering starting a new college basketball podcast, I would say there's a couple of things that are really important for people who are starting um, a podcast, you know, and, and you don't want to overthink it. But, you know, one, if you're set that you want to do a college basketball podcast, I would try to pick something within that, some kind of niche that can kind of be the, you know, your thing. There's a lot of general college basketball podcasts out there. I think it can be difficult to attract an audience in the beginning if you're going to go general. But if you have a niche, if you have a hook, you know, something that you can really go out and be known for and position yourself in a different way, that will help. You know, for us, it was obviously focusing on Indiana, but not just Indiana. We're doing a post-game show, which no one else is doing. And so if you can think about it in those terms and kind of do something different and new, that is one way to help you get some attention. The other advice I would give you is to be very clear-eyed and uh, have very conservative expectations for what you will make monetarily from a podcast, because it is very difficult to build up the audience size that you need to make money off of um, advertising. And you know, same thing, even if you're going to, you know, sell your own sponsorships um, or start a community or have, you know, a paid section, you're still going to have to have a, you're going to have to have enough time with people for them to trust you to pay you for that kind of stuff. And it's going to take a while to build up the numbers. So I would not do it because you think, oh, I can go make a bunch of money from a podcast. You do it because you'll love it. You love talking about it. Um, and you would get on there and do it for free. Because for most of the time, you are going to be getting on there and doing it for free uh, unless you last and build up something. And that can happen. So I'm not saying it's not going to happen. But in terms of advice for a new podcaster, you don't want to think about that stuff. 
It's a good way to get discouraged and stop right away. You want to think about finding an audience, serving that audience, um, and really enjoying it while you do it. Because if you don't enjoy it, it's not going to last, and then you're not going to be there for your audience. And I think the thing for us that has helped is we genuinely love this topic. And I think what's really helped us is we got lucky that all four of us get along really well. And really, like to me, especially these off-season episodes, like what we talk about is kind of immaterial. I just want to get on here and hang out with my friends and talk for 90 minutes about sports, you know, and we try to have something useful, um, but it ends up being much more about that. Um, And that I think is when you know that you have something good. So that would be, I mean, there's a lot of other advice there, but I think those are probably the most important things in the beginning to help you build some momentum. Do you guys have any other uh, advice for Blake or anybody else who's out there thinking about starting a podcast? Well, I mean, I got into this for the money and it took me years to get over the disappointment. Yeah, but you're making that bracketology money. Well, obviously, obviously, yes. (laughs) Uh, No, I think uh, you hit on one of the the two things that I that I thought that first came to mind when this question came up. One was trying to figure out what your niche is or what unique voice you bring to the situation. Um, And I know like you talked about the general college basketball one, like I did bracketology one at some point in the past. Even that was hard because you're you're trying to cover everything and be everything to everybody that may have an interest in trying to cover so much ground that it was always hard. You know what I would set out to cover in an episode, depending upon what guest I had on, I would never get to all of it because it was too vast. So if that means narrowing it down to the big 10 or a particular team or a particular element analytically or whatever the case may be, I think the more specialized and unique your voice can be the better. And the other thing is something, Jerry, that you've brought up a lot of times before um, is just being reliable and showing up on a regular basis so that people know when they can expect to hear from you and what they can expect from you um, and really like driving home that consistency um, as you go, especially as you're looking to build uh, and get people there. They kind of got to know they can can trust you and rely on you to be there when you, you know, with an episode, whether it's whatever you set it out to be right if you say i'm going to do it weekly then you better do it weekly if i'm going to do it daily then so be it but kind of get yourself on a schedule so that people um ideally can expect something from you and look forward to something from you uh in a way that isn't well i forgot i even subscribed to this podcast because they didn't put anything out for you know two and a half weeks and stuff like that yes no that's great advice too coach I, i i just been impressed since i've been um here on on assembly call with the level of preparation with with the run sheets and 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 the music and the the attention to detail we we don't always have great sound i went through about a six weeks where my computer was crapping on me and the internet was shutting down and but it's not because of a lack of attempt i think when you're starting a podcast you got to think about not just what you want to do and what you want to be heard saying Uh, you want to think about the complete show uh, and I think that's where you get with all of what Andy said and Jared, what you said about establishing your audience and building your audience is you, you have to you have to think of those types of things. And that's one of the biggest lessons that I've learned is I've tried to do with our bracketology, Delphi Bracketology. We do a, a podcast and, and through ISC now, uh, Greg Rakestraw has asked us to do a television show. Uh, 
I will credit Jared and you guys with that. The first time we went down and ever interacted with Greg, I had a seven-page script ready to go, <laughs> timed out. Uh, I said, how do you want to break it up? I got 25 minutes, as you said, but I can go seven. And he just looked at me. He expected a bunch of high school kids that he, he would have to take through <laughs> that's a awesome. production. So uh, that's what I learned by joining uh, is that, that level of prep and then the attention to detail to to the microphones and and, and – all of that kind of stuff just makes a, your podcast a, a notch better, which then will keep people listening uh, if the content is is worthy. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that is all the stuff that we have about a podcast. Let me just jump in real quick. No. Um, the, other, the other tip, yeah, is try to get a co-host that doesn't interrupt you all the time. And if you're unable to do that, as we are, then you just have to manage it and live with it. So Come on, dude. Sorry. That's, that's just how it is. But seriously, try to have someone else who can host. That's a lifesaver. <laughs> that is a lifesaver. And you guys are, are awesome. And if we didn't have that, we wouldn't be able to, you know, keep up the schedule that we do. But, you know, it's, I mean, if you're working with co-hosts, I mean, so much of it is about your chemistry. And that's really hard to, you know, to plan out. Um, but I think we got lucky that our personalities mesh really well. I think... Even just like when you really get into the audio, like I think our voices and energy levels match well. There's differences there, which is nice because you don't want it to always be the same kind of tone and tenor and pace. Um, and so you can get into some more of those specific things. So Blake, anytime if, as you get started, obviously if you need someone to help promote, yep, we love promoting new podcasters who are giving it a shot. And if you have any questions, uh, anybody listening, let us know. You know, we've been around for 12 years now and, and learned a few things. And so if we can ever share what we've learned, um, we love to do that because goodness knows we stole from a lot of other people along the way and learned from them who've come before us like Galen and Scott who paved the way for a lot of other IU podcasters. So if we can give back, we certainly want to do that. Um, okay. I think that is it. So that is going to do it for us on this week's edition of the assembly call. If you want to see us do the show live, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. Thank you to Bob Thompson for producing our music. Thank you to John Ringer of rigdesign.com for designing our logos. And thank you, as always, for listening. We'll be back next Thursday to talk IU hoops once again. Until then. Take it from me, Roman Langford. Keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. And go Hoosiers. Thank you. Thanks for coming out. San Diego chicken. Here I come. This is Don Sony. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. Mm. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm-mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. All state vehicle and property insurance company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.